Go ahead and um, prepare for our message tonight. I just realized I cut my message, my, where my message is from. I cut it off when I deleted something. So I've got the verses. I just don't know where they're at. That's not good, is it? So I'm trying to think where I was. I was in so many different places over the last few days doing different things. Um, I'm going to go ahead and change the reference then. I'm going to turn to uh, 
Where's the passage? And I'm looking for the other passage. There was a parallel passage I use in here as well. Go ahead and just turn to Mark chapter 6 tonight instead. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. We'll be all right. This will work out too. Hey, when I get there, I'll find out what it's supposed to be, right? Let me see here. You're supposed to have these things done before you get in the pulpit, fellas. Matthew 14. Yeah. Or what not to do. 14. All right. Okay, now we can take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And then we'll get back to that one later, okay? You don't need to put your finger there either. Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. We're going to just park there for a minute. We're not really going to read that yet. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. Okay? All right. Now I think we're about ready to get started. It's good to see each of you here today. I should have brought some of those jokes up, Brother Dean. I'd feel a lot better, get a little bit, all my nerves gone, right? But... Uh, in our passage today in the book of Matthew, we're going to see that earlier in the chapter, Jesus had constrained his disciples to enter into a ship. And he had wanted them to go before him to the other side of the sea. He goes ahead and he sends the multitudes away at this point now as his disciples board the ship and make their way across the Sea of Galilee. And while they're at sea, of course, we know and have read a number of times how a storm forms and Next thing we know, they're tossed to and fro in the midst of the sea as a result of the wind and the waves. Just when it would seem that they were in imminent danger, just when it would appear that possibly all hope could be lost, Jesus comes walking by on the water. They're afraid. I mean, deathly afraid. They think they see a spirit. But the Lord assures them that it's Him. It's not some spirit that you see, but it is I. I'm the Lord Jesus. Here I am. I'm your friend. You've traveled with me. It's me, Jesus. Peter's so convinced and he's so excited that he ultimately asks if he can come on out. And he begins to make his way out of the boat and onto the sea. And he too walks on water. You know, often we give Peter a bad rap because Peter you know, ultimately diverts his attention from Jesus to the sea. But at least Jesus, amongst all of them, was the only one that was willing to step out onto the sea and make an attempt to even walk on it. And there he walked on the water. So when someone says, who walked on the water? You could say, Peter. And you wouldn't be wrong. Peter walked on the water too. I wonder how many times you've walked on water. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about literally, I'm talking about spiritually. How many times have we walked on the water because the Lord's called us out to obey Him? Have we stepped out by faith, even in the midst of the storm? Peter walked on water. And then, of course, we know, as has already been mentioned, that his attention had been diverted away from Jesus onto the storm. And at that point, he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me! And the Lord reaches down and pulls him up out of the sea and he's fine. The wind ceases. The disciples worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize him as being none other than the Son of God. 
And that's where our passage begins now. In verse 34 of Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14, the Bible tells us, And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gesenaret, Gennesaret, excuse me. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Isn't that something? That's amazing to me. The Bible says, They besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. You know, it wouldn't be a casual glance. It wouldn't be a distant observation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wouldn't even be a front row seat at one of his messages. It had to be them touching. They had to be close enough to Him to touch. No one is healed. No one is helped. No one forever changed until they're close enough to touch Him. If we're going to see folks saved, if we're going to have folks born again, if we're going to reach our city for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to reach our family and our friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to get them close enough to touch Him. I believe tonight, and I'm going to look at our passage very quickly tonight, and I think it indicates a few things that we're going to need to do or what it's going to take to get people close enough. To touch Him. And that's what has to happen if we're really going to make an impact in our world today. And so let's take just a few moments and consider three things that it's going to take to get folks close enough to touch Him. Father, we come to You. We need You tonight. Father, may you truly be in this place. May you fill me with your spirit and may you speak and move and fill others with your spirit as well. We, Father, do not want to waste our time tonight listening to just a mere bundle of words. May you speak to us. May we be moved and may we be motivated. May we be inspired and encouraged to, Father, truly... Help others get close enough to be changed. We need you, Lord, tonight. Speak to our heart in these next few moments. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. What's it going to take then? You know, a lot of times when we think about reaching people with the gospel, we think about, you know, taking the gospel to them. And we need to do that, obviously. But in our passage today, we note that there were those that literally made sure others were in proximity to Christ so that they could be reached, so that they could be changed, so that their lives could be transformed. 
it's sometimes to our fault um, a problem because we have a tendency to want to, you know, kind of take the gospel to people without bringing people to the Lord. And we're going to see that there's a couple of things that took place here that I think will help us to reach the world with the gospel in a more effective manner. First of all, if we're going to, if we're really going to see folks saved, if we're going to have, uh, we're going to have to get folks close enough to touch him. We're going to need, it's going to take trust. It's going to take trust. You say, what do you mean? Well, the apostles early on in their ministry were given a seemingly impossible task. They were told in the book of Matthew, you might be close there obviously by now, turn just to chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, you may know it by heart, I don't know. But they're told, they're being given some marching orders and here's what they're told. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Their task, clearly outlined, to teach all nations. To baptize all nations. Think about that. A pretty daunting task, is it not? I mean to teach all nations. To teach them what? To teach them the gospel. To help them understand that Christ alone is the way, the truth, the life. That He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. He is the great I Am. He is the lily of the valley. The bright and morning star. The fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He is altogether lovely. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The only begotten of the Father. And the resurrection and the life. He is the one who's called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is our Lord, Jesus Christ. And that is who they're to pronounce. That's who they're to proclaim. That's who they're to teach the world about. The whole world is to hear this news that there is a Savior. And not only that, but they're to baptize the whole world. To reach the world with the gospel. Not just a city, not just a county, Not just a country, but the entire world with the gospel. What a daunting task. A seemingly impossible task. The apostles would go on to endure tremendous persecution. The devil would successfully distort the the view of believers in the minds of the ungodly. He is the liar. He is the father of all lies, obviously. So he goes on to distort the minds of, un, of unbelievers. He seeks to get them to be misunderstand the purpose and the reason for existence as a believer. And, and those, the world would view these servants as of the living God as being a threat to their own way of life. They'd view them as enemies of the state. They'd view them as troublemakers with closed minds and judgmental spirits. Sound familiar? This, of course, was not the case. But it was the root of much persecution. They would be subjected to a myriad of horrors. Threats, mockings, prison, beatings, torture, and of course even the prospect of death. 
Facing such opposition demanded, it demanded that they had a strong faith. It demanded that they trusted in the one who had commissioned them to reach the world with the gospel. To proclaim the truth of a resurrected Savior. Their faith had been bolstered by the very appearance and association of that risen Savior. Take your Bible, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 3. In verse 3 we begin reading there. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. The Apostle Paul of course writing to the Corinthians under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all. He was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. These men watched their Savior go to Calvary. These men who lived with Him and breathed in the same air that He breathed, that ate the same food that He ate, that slept at the same place that He slept, these that traveled with Him and watched how He miraculously healed and made the lame walk again, these men watched Him hang on Calvary. These men recognized the bruised and beaten body of Jesus Christ. They themselves watched and heard of His death. And now they go to a tomb to find it empty, wondering and even doubting themselves whether or not the Savior even rose again. But they saw Him. With their own eyes, they saw the resurrected Savior. With their own ears, they heard Him speak one more time. And they could trust the Lord. When He said, go into all the world now, they said, you know, we can trust this one. Death could not hold Him. We can follow through with His commission. We can follow through with His command. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, it'll be alright. Because He is with us always, even to the end of the world. If we're ever going to get people to the Savior, there's an element of trust. Think about these men when Jesus steps off that boat, they recognize the Master. They take their, their, their uh, uh, notice of Him and then they leave to go find the sick, the halt, the maimed, the blind. That took a certain element of trust, did it not? To truly believe that, that when they brought them back, that Jesus could indeed heal them. But they went trusting that He could and would. We must go trusting that He could and will. It's going to take trust, but it's also going to take toil. 
In a parallel passage to our text, Mark chapter 6, if you turn there please, it's put a little bit differently but still the same basic principle. You're going to hear it in just a couple different words but it's not a contradiction. It is a completeness that we find here. It's interesting when the Lord uses different perspectives to record the same event. He's doing it so that we can get the whole picture. Not so that one can counter the other or somehow prove that one writer was right and the other was wrong, but so that we can see the big picture. It's like witnesses watching an accident. Police want to get as many witnesses to give their testimony as possible so they can truly get an accurate assessment of what really took place. Everyone has an emphasis on different details. But every one of those details comes together and makes a whole and paints a picture. And in this particular case, notice here, the passage says in Mark chapter 6, verse 53, And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. When they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. And ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick. Where they heard he was. <laughs> and whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Amen. Now I want you to notice here in verse 55. And they ran through that whole region. First, as I mentioned earlier, to run through the whole region to begin with demonstrates an element of trust that they would take the time to go at all. Said that they believed that Jesus was more than a man, that he was able to heal. And they trusted that their effort would not be in vain. But notice once again that as they ran through that whole region roundabout, they began to carry about in beds those that were sick. These were people who would never have made it to the feet of Jesus. These are folks that would have never been able to touch the hem of His garment or His person if they had not been carried in their beds to Him. Now listen, don't, don't, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege and opportunity of carrying a body through woods or across some kind of terrain like Say in a military setting, you have four guys, one on each end, carrying a body through the jungle or through some kind of other geographic location. Let me tell you something, that is not easy. You say, well, there's four of you. Okay, say he's 200 pounds. That means that you're carrying at least 50, including that which you're carrying him on. So you got probably 60 pounds that you're carrying in one hand. you still got your pack on your back. You're still busy with carrying your weapon and everything else if you're in the military. Let me tell you something. It doesn't take long. That gets old real quick. And let me say this. These men and these ladies that left to go grab the sick that were in their beds, carried them in their beds to see Jesus. And it was all work. There was nothing easy about it. It took a lot of toil. It took a lot of travail. It took a lot of energy. It took a lot of effort. And may I say they would have never, ever been healed if they wouldn't have put forth the effort. Never. It would have never happened. If we're going to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
in Akron, Ohio, and around the world, it's going to cost us something. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of toil and a lot of effort. Look, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, the first verse. It's going to take us time. It's going to take our talents. Putting forth every good thing God's put in us it has to be given back to Him. It's going to take our treasure. It's going to take our travail, our toil. It is work reaching those that are referred to, spoken of, here in Isaiah 61. Notice the passage in Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Referring again prophetically to our Lord, but certainly we know that these still exist today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. You know, there's a temptation that exists in the church to only fulfill the first of these objectives. It's a real temptation here. Preaching is the icing on the cake. That's the easy stuff. It's easy. Compared to the rest of it, it's easy. See, when a preacher or a teacher or a soul winner teaches or preaches the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, usually they're doing something that they really love and enjoy. It's, it's not that hard. It's, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about what Christ has done for us. It's an opportunity to say, man, I, I'm thankful to God, and this is what He did for me, and this is what He can do for you. And the Bible tells us that that's not real hard. Preachers and teachers of the Word of God were happy to stand and proclaim the gospel message. But you know, that's not where it ends according to the passage. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. It goes on to say, to open the prison to them that are bound. I'm trying to make light of witnessing. But when somebody comes to Community Baptist Temple and sits in a Sunday school class, it's easy to get up in front and give them the truth. That's nothing, that's nothing hard to do. I mean, that's not hard. That's not tough. Let me tell you something. It's not that hard to preach to you tonight. That's not real hard. You came here voluntarily. You want to hear the truth. You enjoy the preaching. That's not hard for me. I don't stand up here and... Fear and trepidation going, I hope they don't throw, you know, rotten tomatoes at me. I hope they don't get up and walk out. I hope they don't get upset. I don't worry that much about that. Why? Because you come here voluntarily. It's easy. And it's fun to preach the gospel. But bind up the brokenhearted. Most of them never get here. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, if they're not physically bound, they feel bound. Feel stuck. Probably don't feel that they are able to even come to a place like this. And then open the prison to them that are bound. 
Satan has them so bound in vice and in their lives that they don't even believe for a moment that they even deserve to be under the roof of death. I mean, the ceiling would cave in if they showed up. That's how they view it. See, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives, opening the prison to them that are bound, that is the essence of spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. The idea that the, I mean, the idea that the real battle is sharing the gospel with those that want to hear it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's, that's, the, that's the icing. The fact is that real spiritual warfare comes when we enter into the enemy's territory. When we enter into his territory with a determination to heal and help the wounded. When we enter into his territory proclaiming a message of hope to those that are enslaved. When we enter his territory and go on a rescue mission to, to, to free those that are imprisoned by Satan and sin. That's the real spiritual battle that we're called to. There's nothing easy about that warfare. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's all hard work. And it costs us something. It demands devotion and determination if we're going to reach out to those who will never be able to get to the Lord without our help. You know, we're good about pointing our finger at the world and going, them wicked sinners. Those, they know better. They should be in God's house. That's, they've had every opportunity that I've had. They've, they know enough to know where they shouldn't be, so they should know where they should be. And we get this attitude toward people that aren't in church. Maybe the Lord wants you and I it's a novel idea. Once you and I to step out of our comfort zone, walk outside the walls of this building, this church, and actually say, you know what? If I have to, I'll put you on my back and carry you here. Amen. That means practically we may even pick somebody up. That means we may even take them to lunch. That means we might even spend a little time with them outside of this place. And expect nothing in return. Isn't that amazing? The price that these men and women paid to get loved ones, friends, and others to the very presence of the Lord. And if the truth be known, most of us, unless someone walks into our life and basically falls at our knees and says, What must I do to be saved? We're going to do nothing about it. How inconvenienced are you willing to be in order to get someone close enough to the Master to be transformed and changed forever? How inconvenienced am I willing to be? Because that's the real question, isn't it? You've got to ask that question. And if you're honest with yourself, you may be surprised 
Number three, we have these folks now that as soon as Jesus steps off, <laughs> he just steps off the boat, they recognize him. And man, they just take off and trust believing. If I can just get, if I can just get my loved one, if I can just get my family member, if I can just get my friend, if I can just get my neighbor to, to the presence of the Lord, if they can only just touch him, if they can only touch the hem of his garment, he, he, they'll, be, they'll be healed. They'll be changed forever. I'm going. And I'm getting them. No matter how tough it is, no matter what it costs me, no matter how difficult it becomes. What's the third thing? Well, it's going to take trust. It's going to take toil. But thirdly, it's going to take teamwork. Right, amen. I, I know, and, and, and I know when it says they carried their beds, I... Carried them in their beds. I, I don't think one person grabbed them and did a fireman's carry with their bed on their back and, and walked across. I think it took a few people. I think that they worked together as families, as friends, as a team to get those that would never be able to get into the presence of the Lord into the presence of the Lord. It took teamwork. It took everybody working together. It took everyone pulling their weight. It took everyone firing on all cylinders. Can you imagine? Jesus gets off the boat. The disciples are piling out. One by one, they make their way onto shore. Someone says, There's Jesus. He can heal. I've heard stories. If I can only get my loved one into his presence, he'll heal them. And they stop and go, Disciples, you're on the paid staff. Go get my loved one. Go get him. Bring my family in. Bring my neighbors in. Bring my friends in. That's what you get paid to do. You travel with Jesus. How many people would have been at the feet of Jesus? At the most, probably three or four. Because remember, it takes more than one to get them there. They got to carry him in beds. God never intended the churches be so bound by some laity type mentality or or so Nicolaitan type mentality, where there's this stratus and structure where certain ones alone are able to actually carry the gospel, where only certain ones are expected to do it. No, God expects us all as believers to pull our weight, to play on the team, to get onto the field. It's going to take teamwork. My wife was just telling me a story today of one of her bus families and a good bus family. But they kind of got out of touch over the last year and kind of got busy with some things and the kids stopped coming. So instead of visiting every week, it's been like for a year now, she started visiting just once a month. Just, you know, after about six months of visiting every week and them not coming, she finally switched it over. And so for the last six months, she's just been making a visit once a month. Well, Mrs. Cavanaugh, one of the teen girls, went over because one of the, one of the kids had turned into a teenager now. They made a visit. 
You know who was on the bus today? That family. Now, personally, I find my wife irresistible. <laughs> I have no problem there. I, she told me, let's go here. I'd say, let's go. But unfortunately, others don't always find her quite as irresistible as I do. But it took a team, see? It took a team. Now, what if Mrs. Cavanaugh wouldn't have done her part? Those kids wouldn't have been here again today. And we could all say, well, it's not my job to go see them. It's not my place. Uh, somebody else should do it. Maybe one of the other workers should do it. Maybe one of the other Sunday school leaders should do it. Maybe somebody that used to be. I don't even know that kid possibly. They might have just turned a teen. I've never even met him before. I'm, that's not my responsibility. I don't know what the circumstances were 100%, but it's always easy to come up with excuses why it shouldn't be me. But let me tell you something. It takes a team to get people that are bound and brokenhearted to get people who are captives, to get people who are bound in the prison of sin and self at the feet of the Lord Jesus into His presence. They can never touch Him until they get close enough. They can never reach out and touch the hem of His garment until they get close enough. And that takes a team. Carrying those beds. Hey, can you give me a hand? Hey, hey buddy, can you give me a hand? If I can just get my mother to the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll heal her. If I can just get my best buddy to the Lord Jesus Christ, will you give me a hand? He'll heal him. Will you help me? And here's the danger too. It's easy to want to do something when it's yours. And you're quick to want to ask everybody and expect everybody to help. But what, what, what do you like when it's not yours? And someone else is saying, can you give me a hand? Can you help me reach something I love? There's the difference. Sooner or later it will be ours. We've got to keep that in mind. And truthfully, as a believer, who cares if it is or isn't? Because in the long run, I'm not rewarded based on what I do or don't do for mine or yours. I'm just rewarded for God's glory. He gives me something in the end anyway. Why would I? I don't need any other motivation. If we're going to see folks saved, we're going to have to get folks close enough to touch them. It's going to take some toil. It's going to take teamwork. It's going to take some trust. Trusting that the Lord is able to do what He says. He tells us we can reach the world. We can reach the world. This is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take some teamwork. Everyone has to pull their weight. Everyone has to be involved. If we're going to get the job done. Can you imagine Jesus walking down that dusty trail, beds lined up, the lame, the halt, the maimed, the blind, those that have demons 
possessing them, lined up along the road. Here he comes. You've seen the basketball players, the football players run through the stadium and people put their hands out and they hit their hands as they walk by. I wonder sometimes if Jesus didn't walk through that crowd down that lane with his hands wide open. I can almost... You've seen some of the ball players do that stuff. I think Jesus was more anxious to be touched than they were to touch him. But it took somebody to carry them into his presence. And that's what God needs us and wants us to do today. Father, we come to you. We thank you.